0: As we enter the new year, the cyber threat is expanding with changes in technologies and how people employ technology influencing the way we approach cybersecurity. Hello, I'm Eric Chabro of Information Security Media Group, and I'm pleased to be joined once again by Alan Friedman, who has co-authored a new book with Peter Singer entitled Cybersecurity and Cyber War, What Everyone Needs to Know. The book, published by Oxford University Press, addresses the shifting landscape of cybersecurity. Welcome back, Alan. Happy to be here. What's Cybersecurity and Cyberwar about, and who is its target audience?
1: Cybersecurity and Cyberwar is designed to be a general purpose resource for those who are trying to understand the issue in a more comprehensive way. Structured series of questions, everything from who runs it, understanding internet governance, to security risks or human rights, foreign policy and internet. And then we get into the, the final chapter section, what's at recommendations. So it's organized around how the technology works, why the technology matters from a strategic, economic, political perspective, and then the final two-fifths of the book is devoted to what we might be able to do about it. And the audience is really pretty broad range, written at an accessible level, so anyone who doesn't understand the issue and wants to learn more, whether they're, you know, in business or a student, can just pick it up and dive into it. But I think there's also enough interesting new technical details and fairly well-researched anecdotes that even those who have been working in the field for quite some time might find it very interesting. And because it's written in these short two-, three-page question-and-answer style, it's very easy to find out what you need as a simple resource.
0: So many of our listeners who mostly manage the security of IT systems in their organizations, say it, you know, banking, healthcare, and government, this isn't too simple for them? This, this, has, uh, this can apply to them too?
1: I think it will be useful for them for two reasons. One, because we try to really look at all the different facets. If they're in the finance world, they might learn a little bit about how China organizes their cyber operations. They're in the government world. They may learn a little bit about the private sector. But also, it will help them communicate. I think we wrote it in such a way where they can use it as a resource to share their perspectives with their managers who may not understand what we call all this cyber stuff. And really, the goal is to try to bring up the level of conversation so that we can have productive discussions rather than rehashing the same cybersecurity is new because the internet is complicated.
0: You write that the world's fastest computer just five years ago, known as Roadrunner, is now obsolete. And that obsolescence serves as an example in the ever-changing field of cybersecurity. How so?
1: The notion, and again, those of our listeners who've been in the tech world know that the key issue of last year is not going to be dominating the headlines of this year, and it's not going to be dominating the attention of managers. We have a very rapid pace of change, and so one of the downsides of writing in the technology world is the first half of all my research papers are now irrelevant. People aren't focusing on rapidly uh, evolving worms anymore. They're, They're focused on new issues. The goal of the book was to not just explain the issue today but to give the intellectual tools and the policy framework to sort of how do we think about this. And we really want to avoid either extreme. We want to avoid people saying, listen the internet is completely new and the risks are unlike anything we've ever seen before. We need revolution solutions, because we discussed in the book, uh, one, this has been going on for a while, and two, it has similarities in different ways to problems that we faced before. At the same time, we also want to avoid people who say, well, we shouldn't do anything, right? Any change that we make, any policies that we impose will break the internet. It's a little more complicated than that. We should not launch into solutions without thinking through them, but there are real issues we need to pay attention to.
0: Let's delve into the future a bit. You write of at least five key trends that matter greatly to the future story of cybersecurity. Cloud computing, big data, mobile revolution, changing demographics of Internet users, and the blurring of the physical and virtual. Let's take a look at each one of these areas. Let's start off with cloud computing.
1: Cloud is a great example where you have something that is new. We didn't see this. But at the same time, it's not that new. People have been using servers for a while. And similarly, the risks that people are usually associated with, oh, my data is sitting on a platter next to someone else's data, uh, aren't the real questions that we're worried about. What we should think about is cloud computing introduces more moving pieces, and the risk is not that your data is not in your building. It's that you have more interfaces that you need to worry about and secure at the identity layer things like that. It's also very relevant as we move into a post-Snowden world where all of a sudden national boundaries and borders are a lot more important. We need to understand how the legal aspect is going to interplay with the technical security of data.
0: Next on the list was big data.
1: Big data is one of these terms that I, I love to hate, but I think it really is useful to say we should call it not big data, unstructured data. Even uh, 10 years ago, when you wanted to work with data, it had to be in nice, even spreadsheets. But now we have the tools to gather and use massive amounts of data without having to you know, put it in a neat table. And that means we're going to be able to glean a lot more information from our systems. That is really important for security from a defensive purpose, but it also introduces new risks in terms of surveillance, in terms of privacy, and in terms of the marketability and sustainability of different business models.
0: As we move on, you speak of the mobile revolution.
1: Sure. And the mobile revolution is something I'm sure your listeners are already familiar with because we're partway through where you know, we've been facing the challenge of bring your own device, of having always-on connectivity. Looking forward, right now, we're seeing a trend towards using the mobile device as a key aspect in multi-factor authentication, so we can expect the bad guys to go there. We have real challenges, the same hurdles we faced with good interfaces, with understanding how to use uh, screen real estate, how to communicate with users. We need to fight those battles all over again in a mobile system. And we know that people uh, treat their mobile computers differently than they treat their their desktops and laptops because it's seen as a more intimate thing. They're more naturally trusting also a more closed ecosystem. So we need to understand the economics of this space and how that's going to play out in the security world as well.
0: Which in some ways, I guess, leads to the next point you bring up, which is the changing demographics of internet users, since a lot of new users are perhaps people who are using mobile technologies.
1: Mm -hmm. And we have a a number of different issues. So, you know, it's been interesting working on this book. There's a 10-year age difference between Peter, my co-author, and myself, he's 10 years older than I am, and our RAs who've been helping us are about 10, 15 years younger than us. And so we've had a lot of fun observing the generational shifts and just how we approach technology. Uh, We're all pretty technically savvy people, but the notion of a digital native we see is real. You know, there are a number of studies that back up. People are getting better at making judgments, but at the same time, there are different factors. Among teenagers, sharing your password for email or social media is a sign of intimacy. So this is a way of showing that you trust your romantic partner, something that's pretty unheard of for for those of us who are a few years older. But at the same time, we also see a lot more responsiveness to privacy warnings and to security warnings. It's a little more intuitive that people realize there are certain quarters of the internet you don't trust and there are certain things that you should expect a certain, uh, that you should expect a greater amount of security or look for more security. That we don't see in an older generation intuitively understanding.
0: And why is it important say for IT security practitioner to understand the different generations that they tend to support?
1: There are a number of different reasons. Is someone going to work for your company if they can't bring their own device? So that's at sort of a very consumer-facing level. And another approach is what we're seeing right now with the controversy around the RSA cons, that because the company RSA owned by EMC was uh, implicated in the NSA scandal, you have a large segment of the security community that says, listen, we're not going to work with you because we believe you've been compromised. Understanding the generational issue in terms of trust and expectations, government is very important as well.
0: Finally, the point you're making is blurring the physical and virtual worlds you include in that, the Internet of Things.
1: Mm -hmm. So this is, I think, the area that is going to be evolving the most. And we're still looking to see how this is going to play out. But in a smarter, more semantic laden world, of course, trust is more important than ever. Breaking that trust is, can have more damaging impact. And in a world where you have smaller, lighter weight devices, there's less opportunity for security. You've just simply got less gates, can't do crypto. Or alternatively, you're relying on a more crowdsourced environment to put information into the digital space, link the digital space in the world. That's going to lead to the potential for, for abuse. The challenge is how do we, if we want to actually use, semantic web and the internet of things to be a key part of our lives rather than it's novelty, there has to be a source of trust. There has to be an understanding of, again, just as we learned to do on the web, differentiate between things that are not terribly trustworthy and things that are trustworthy, as well as different risk models behind each of those. We're going to have to find a way to do that in a smarter world, whether it's digital thermostats or a Google Glass-like device that automatically tags everything around us to help us live our lives better
0: seems like maybe the, the word for 2014 uh, in security is trust.
1: I agree completely, and I think that's sort of the buzzword for uh, security for, for most years. I think there's a reason why you and, and your listeners who've been in the space for a while keep coming back to this notion. You can get security many different ways, but ultimately it revolves around understanding what you can and can't trust. And that's not just a technical question. That's an economic question. That's a legal question. And fundamentally, it's also a political question. Thanks, Alan. Happy to chat.
0: I've been speaking with Alan Freeman, co-author of Cybersecurity and Cyberwar, What Everyone Needs to Know. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Eric Chabro.